Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched or that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them, because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I'm trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they do not escape when they refused him who warmed them on earth, how much less will we, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and to worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, my uh, dear friends. It's a pleasure to share with you in the ministry of the word. And as we come to our time in the word, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you to be with us now as we come to you. We come to the God who is awesome, who is a consuming fire. And we pray that we would not turn back or turn away from you, but we would bask in your greatness and your glory and we would finish the race that is set out before us. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, I'm here to tell you that I have been to the promised land. I have been up the mountain. I have seen God's holy people, by which I mean I've been talking about Queensland, <laughs> the Bunya Mountains, and Queenslanders. I mean, it's Queensland, the land of the Queen. It's royal, named after Vicky and Lizzie, sisters, rest in power. And I've been to the mountains, the Bunya Mountains. Probably need to explain to you where that is. Go, go north to, from Aubrey-Rodonga. Yes, north of Aubrey-Rodonga. Just bear with me. Just bear with me. You'll hit Sodom and Gomorrah, a.k.a. Sydney. <laughs> Keep going north, but don't turn back. You will turn to salt. Hit Queensland. Hit Brisbane, take a left, you'll hit Toowoomba. Keep going left, you'll get to Dolby. Keep going left, you'll get to Mount Doom of Mordor. Then keep going. 
and you'll get to the Bunya Mountains. And it was beautiful up there. It's like, it's like the Aspen of Australia. If Aspen had the climate of Florida and the culture of Werribee. <laughs> you couldn't walk outside without kicking a wallaby, hitting someone eating a mango. <laughs> I realized how homesick I was for Queensland. It was because I took my, my Brisbane Broncos cap and I wore that and people did not look at me like I was some kind of idiot. I was standing in line at a, at a cafe and I thought I'd better make small talk with, you know, the people beside me. And I said, so who do you think is going to win the AFL grand final? And the lady next to me said, oh, is that still a thing? <laughs> I thought, I'm home. <laughs> no one raved about the coffee. And I complained about daylight savings and they agreed with me. It's like, yeah, you know, it's that extra hour of sunlight that's causing global warming. I said, that's what I've been telling people for the last 10 years. Now, I know some people look down on Queensland because there are some towns and the combined IQ of the town is lower than that of a cute puppy. Democracy has never really caught on in Queensland. Most legal disputes are settled with a contest of who can kick a cane toad the furthest. Tertiary education is considered a form of witchcraft. <laughs> and scientists cannot explain that strange smell in Moreton Bay. <laughs> but these were my people. This was my mountain, the Bunya Mountains. And it was beautiful, a bit of tropical Queensland just beyond the Darling Downs. I felt, I felt a sense of homecoming. I hadn't been back to Queensland for years. Now... That sense of homecoming, that longing for the mountain, okay, the, the mountain of God, the, the, the mountain where you belong, that is, that's what the author is doing. He wants to tell us that we have, a, we have our own mountain. I mean, do you have a favourite mountain? I think Reese's is Machu Picchu. I mean, no, he's a fan. Mount Kosciuszko, Mount Dandenong, Mount Massa. I don't know. Do you have a mountain? The author of Hebrews says we have a mountain and this is a mountain that is better than any other mountain. Because the book of Hebrews, I mean, it's, it's an odd book. I don't think we've noticed. Um, he talks about the furniture of the tabernacle. He makes a big point about what God did not say to the angels. Talks about some chap called Melchizedek. But his point is Jesus is better, a better high priest, a better sacrifice, a better covenant. And we have something better than, starts with S, rhymes with Shanghai, Sinai. <laughs> we have something better than Sinai. We have the heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews depicts the people of God on a journey. Our pilgrimage facing hardship and temptations to turn back. And the author urges them to keep going because the best is still ahead of them because of what offered to them is better than anything behind them and stronger than anything against them. It's about finishing the race by getting to the mountain. And the author tells us that we have a better mountain, a better covenant, a better hope. 
So in verses 18 to 21, the, uh, the author, we don't know who the author is. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a devout Christian in the first century, probably in Italy. The author uh, opens by describing a scene from the Old Testament. In the Exodus where Israel was gathered at the foot of Mount Sinai, Moses mediating between the people and God, and they're, they're confronted with this awesome, terrifying sight of God's presence and the terrifying sound of God's voice. The prospect of judgment should they touch the holy mountain. And even Moses is struggling to hold his nerve. He is, he is trembling with fear. This is, a, this is a scary mountain for those who approach it or who ascend upon it. This isn't, this isn't Splash Mountain at Disneyland. This is more like Mount Doom. This is, this is where sinners feel the dread of the divine presence. I don't know, have you ever, have you ever been on a scary mountain, like a mountain there was a big storm? I've, I've, had, to, I've had to climb up a lot of mountains during my, my military days, but probably the scariest mountain range I was ever at was when I went to Israel and I stood at the foot of the Golan Heights. And you know it's a scary place because there's a sign in front of it that says, warning minefield. I mean, that was the first clue that this could be a scary mountain range. I also knew on the other side of the mountain were some charming people called Isis, okay? This, this was a scary place. And I thought, you do not want to go up this mountain. And that's the point. The mountain is scary because of God's judgment, God's justice. And yet what the author wants to stress is that God has not brought us to Mount Sinai. He has brought us to a different mountain, not one of, of terror, of dread, destruction, but of something better. He says, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the innumerable angels in festal gathering. Are your gatherings festal? We have a lot of gatherings. But this is going to be a festal gathering. Festal means celebration, you know? It means our worship. It needs to have a mixture of awesome and austerity. But we shouldn't act as if joy is some kind of crime. It's meant to be festive, a celebration of God, celebrating with the angels. Now, the angels have a mixed job description, don't they? They can be messengers of God. They can be agents of judgment, but they know how to worship with joy. That's the type of gathering we're invited to. And we come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to the God, the judge of all, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Now, there is a lot in here we could unpack. The first thing that I was struck by, uh, we've come. it says we've come to the assembly of the firstborn. Now, I assumed that the firstborn here was Jesus, because, you know, he's the firstborn among the dead. The firstborn. But the, in, in the Greek text, the firstborn is in the plural. That's why you should always, always consult the Greek text when you're doing a bit of ex, uh, sermon prep. Uh, long, live, long live Greek language, exegesis. So it, it's, it's in the plural. That means it's not talking about Christ. It's talking about us. We are the firstborn, which means we have preeminence. We have privilege in the divine family. It is the assembly, the church of us, the firstborn of God. 
and we have come to the mountain with God, the great judge, and the spirits of the righteous made perfect. That means to the saints who have departed before us, those who have lived the life of faith. I think this is an important thing. This is talking about the communion of the saints. And that's a communion that does not just exist now in the present. It's a communion that, that in a sense still exists between our parents, our friends, who have departed this life and enjoy a communion with God. We still, in a sense, have a communion with them because of the greatness of resurrection. Resurrection means there is a love, there is a a fellowship, a communion so powerful, even death cannot stop it. That's the communion we are invited to. Not just our current friends, but with our forefathers and foremothers in the faith. And we come also to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks of a better word than the blood of Abel. We have come to a place that is not only better than what Israel had at Mount Sinai, it anticipates our eternal destiny. The author is telling us we haven't come into judgment, but into joy. Not into dread, but into deliverance. Not into terror, but into eternity. And God's presence is what the author calls Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, a stadium of angels, the assembly of the firstborn. We, we, we've come all to that so we can enjoy God in his awesomeness. And that's something. I mean, we, we, at, at, we're here at Theological College. We're studying. We're studying, aren't we? And maybe you're doing Augustine. Maybe you're doing hypostatic union. Maybe you're doing Jonathan Edwards. Maybe you're doing exegesis of Jeremiah. And let me tell you, sometimes, I, I know this, it can be dry, stale, and cerebral. I know that. I know, because I'm the one who inflicts it on you. <laughs> I know. How is source criticism of the Gospel of John going to make me a great worship leader? I've wrestled with those questions myself. <laughs> But the goal of our study is to go through all of Scripture, the counsel of God, the history of the church, the various mysteries of the faith, so we would know God better and enjoy him forever. That is why you labor here. This is why some of you will be up late at night with obscene, obscene amounts of caffeine to write those essays. And your goal is not to get a master of divinity. Have you ever thought what a ridiculous name for a degree that is? <laughs> I am master of divinity. In the domain of divinity, I am master. <laughs> when they give you that master of divinity, do me one favor. Do not believe them. <laughs> this is true. Because you're not, you're not a master of divinity. You're... It should be called Master of Knowing God Better and Enjoying Him Forever. But it won't fit on the certificate, Katrine tells me. <laughs> and the ACT was very reticent to change the name of all the degrees. But that's what, we're, that's, that's what we've come to. We've come to the mountain of knowing God and enjoying Him forever. In that mountain, we have, we, we have, we have a covenant we have Jesus who gives us a covenant. We who were far away come near to God 
through him, particularly through his death. And this is where we have to go back, I think, to the beginning of chapter 12, where the author says, since therefore we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, that's, that's, that's Hebrews 11, you know, the, 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 the saints whose spirits have been made perfect. He says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with perseverance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. The author's point is God has not, God has not brought you into judgment, but he's brought you to the joy of Jesus. Jesus, in his joy, laid down his life so you would have eternal life. He came, became what we are, so we could share in his reign. We could be part of the new creation. Beyond that, the author warns that the, in verses 25 to 27, that we should not refuse the God who speaks these words. I mean, Christ does not nullify the earlier warnings. Rather, he makes those consequences, in fact, more certain. God is indeed going to shake things up again. The, the awesome, the, 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 the terrible pyrotechnics at Mount Sinai, that was just the warm-up act. God will shake the world, the cosmos, the universe again. That is why we should not say no to the Savior. We do not sit on the fence. We don't flirt with religiosity. We don't meander on the boundary between believing and belonging. We don't frolic on the edges of faith. Instead, we come to this unshakable mountain, to the place of refuge, full of refreshment, beauty, life, peace, and hope. I mean, the world around us will always be shaking with something, with war, economic upheaval, the ups and downs of your own life with relationships, with, in the worst cases, trauma, horror. Life is a bunch of shakable moments. But in that, we can come somewhere secure, safe. And the point is that Jesus leads us to God's mountain, Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the church of the firstborn. It's, it's, it's a better mountain. It's better than any other mountain in the world. And there are some beautiful mountains in the world. I mean, I, th I, think, I mean, I think God loves mountains. I mean, you know this from biblical theology. Big things happen on, my, on mountains. Look at you know, Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, you know, Isaiah 25, you know, uh, the, the mountain which all the nations come to, the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, big things happen on mountains. I had, I had a colleague who... Uh, who always wanted to write a, a book on a theology of the mountain of the Lord in the Bible. And, and it was great when you go through all the different scenes in the Bible about what happens in mountains. God does things on mountains. I think, I mean, God loves mountains. That's why he made Tasmania. Australia is flat and brown. Tasmania is mountainous and green. It's a beautiful mountain. God sculpted it with such perfection. And he carved it out and all the offcuts and the leftover bits he put to the side and they became New Zealand. <laughs> God loves New Zealand, but God loves mountains, okay? And he calls us to a mountain and we have a mountain better than any other mountain you've been to. And I've been on some nice mountains. 
I'm standing on the mountain overlooking Hobart. I've been to Mount Wellington. The mountain of the Lord is better. It's better than Sinai. And there we encounter God. And this God, the author tells us, is not safe. He's he's a judge, but he has invited us to his mountain. And it's on this mountain that we, the church, the assembly of the firstborn, we are drawn together in this life of faith, devotion, encouragement to bask in the glory of God. And it is on this mountain we encounter the living God. So as we go forth today, as, we, as you go forth in your studies, pursuing your master of divinity, remember what the goal of that is. The goal is not that piece of paper. The goal is not the graduation hood. Uh, the goal is not just to prepare you for the next thing you're going to do. This, this degree you're doing, it's maybe we should describe a, a college or a seminary is kind of like um, a store where you buy mountain supplies, okay? It's like a divine hiking store, getting you ready for the mountain, the mountain that you're being called to, the mountain of God and to meet the God of the mountain, because that is our eternal destiny. That is where the pilgrimage ends for us. And there's a lot of trials ahead of that, like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress. We've got a lot of ways. We'll have a lot of friends, a lot of people holding us back. There's, slow of des- there's a slow of despond you've got to go through. Sometimes you call that the dark night of the soul, having bad seasons of life. But the end of the journey, God is waiting for us on the mountain and Christ is waiting there with the angels to share his joy with us. And on that note, let us pray. Our heavenly Lord, we, we thank you that you are you are the one who has called us not to a mountain of dread, but one of deliverance. And we pray, Lord, we will come to that mountain. We will bask in your awesomeness and your greatness. And we pray that will that, that vision of your love and your goodness towards us will carry us through our own pilgrimage to this mountain. And when we get there, Lord, we're not gonna, not gonna throw a ring into a volcano, but we'll put down our crowns before the feet of Christ of the Lord and Saviour who died for us so that we might live in him. In Christ's name we pray.